a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. Welcome back to Starlight Beacon, a Star Wars High Republic podcast. This is Gary, and as always, I am joined by the Rudy Librarian himself, the Goonies-loving man himself, the man from Texas himself. I used the word man twice to describe you. Uh, the teacher who is the coolest teacher I know, Brian. Meet Morp. I feel like I could have done a better introduction, but I just was just shooting off the cuff. I'm sorry, man. I really let you down. That's okay. Uh, so has Texas. I'm sorry. I couldn't couldn't help it. Since you called me the guy from Texas, I had to say so has Texas. But you know what? I also love Texas. Let's move on. <laughs> it was the 35th anniversary of Monster Squad the other day. I should know that, and I don't. But Did you watch it? I did not. You weren't in. We, you, you were in the Monster Squad chat with me where we, we text about Monster Squad exclusively, and you didn't watch it. What 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 happened? <laughs> was I there? Oh no, it's my other friend Brian, who is also a teacher in Texas. Is this a real thing? Did you have was did I did I comment on the chat? What is it's, happening? Right it's now? like ten o'clock at night in here in New Jersey and like nine o'clock in Texas. So Brian and I are both pretty loopy. I don't yeah, I don't remember this happening. No, that I mean, didn't happen. That didn't happen. Okay. It didn't happen. To, to be real honest, there are things that for sure do happen that I don't remember, and I have never in my entire life been intoxicated. I just sometimes forget things. That's okay, because we're going to talk about the rising storm today in a few minutes, and there's probably stuff that we are not going to remember, so just put it out there. Sorry, everybody. If we don't hit on every single point and every single character, I apologize in advance. Um so before we get to that, let's just talk a little Star Wars news. Or you know what? Real quick, what's going on in your life over the past month Star Wars related? Anything fun? Well, I've been trying to catch up on reading all the Star Wars stuff. I True. was kind of in a, a reading slump and not really making the kind of progress I wanted to. Um, and Rising Storm, like it, for some reason, I just was not, it wasn't clicking with me when I first started it. And I finally, it clicked. I finished it pretty quickly. I read Race to Crash Point Tower in a day, really in like a couple hours one morning. And uh, now I'm reading Out of the Shadows. And uh, I'm, 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 back in, I'm back in the saddle. Um, I still haven't finished or caught up on... A, a, what's the cartoon? Shoot. Um, Bad Batch. Yeah, Bad Batch. It's over See? now. It ended. Yes, but I haven't finished. I haven't finished. It hasn't ended for me yet. So I should not tell you about the awesome part where Mark Jean Rowe fights the Bad Batch in the finale? You should not lie to me like that. No. Wow. Who knows? It could not it might not be a lie. It might not. It might not. Um 
Let me ask you a book question real quick. When you Shoot. start reading a book and you don't like it, do you force yourself to finish it? It depends on the book. Usually, usually yes. But sometimes I'll read for a while and then I'll like maybe put a bookmark in it and read something else for a while mm -hmm. and hope that I can come back to it. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. I, I do think that I'm harder on myself about finishing books because I want to be someone that can read all kinds of books. But, um, but I think it's healthy to stop reading a book, you know, like not, not to put that pressure on yourself. I, I have a rule. If I pay for a book, I have to finish it. Yeah. Like I if don't I have... get a book from the library and I'm not liking it, I'm okay with that. Or, or if I get a free or secondhand or something like that and I don't like it, I'm okay not reading it. But if I pay for a book, uh, I, I force myself to finish it. I don't have that rule. No? But, but it's more likely that I will put it aside with the plans to come back to it someday. And if I don't come back to it in like a couple of years, I'll just sell it. So. Okay. So for me in Star Wars, I got some Star Wars soap. Dr. Squatch, who is a uh, organic soap company that I actually buy some soap from. Some like, you know, shampoo, they make shampoo, soap, body wash, face wash, etc. They did an exclusive Star Wars line of soap. That's interesting. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I would steer away from the Dagobah uh, soap. <laughs> uh, uh, there is the a Yoda soap, actually. So they, it's four characters. It's Obi-Wan, Yoda, Darth Vader, and Darth Maul. Okay. And they Out came together as like a collector set, and I got them all, and they all have a different scent and like different kind of texture to them. So like the Darth Maul one is like a grittier soap, whereas like the Obi-Wan soap is kind of a softer soap. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally connects with their characters. I feel like out of those four characters, Obi-Wan would be the only one that would smell good. Like, yeah, like in reality, yeah, probably. Even maybe not, maybe during like, you know, Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan, he seemed like he took pride in his appearance. But Obi-Wan living on Tatooine for 20 years probably didn't smell good. Yeah, but I mean, like, compared to like, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe Darth Maul showered regularly. Doesn't strike me as that guy just because of his dental health. His, yeah. But like uh, uh, Vader, I feel like probably smelled like antiseptic. I now, mean, I, with that being said, Vader is the only character we've seen bathe in a Star Wars movie. Fair. But like now he probably smells like motor oil and Bacta, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So... So I guess this is a great conversation, by the way, that we didn't plan, but I love where it's going. <laughs> Which Star Wars character in all of Star Wars do you think smells the best? Because I know who I'm going to say. Oh, yeah, I know who I'm going to say. Go ahead. I'm going to say Padme. Yep, 100%. Okay, yeah. She's a queen. She, like, obviously, like, she has these elaborate dresses and a bunch of handmaidens. She definitely, at least in, like, episode one and two, she smells really good. So E.K. Johnston, if you're reading this or listening to this right now, not reading this, if you're listening to this, could you please confirm or deny whether Padme is the best smelling character in the Star Wars universe? I thought Leia, maybe, but she seems like a woman of action. Like she doesn't have time. To, she doesn't bathe regularly because she's just too busy. Yeah, fair. I mean, I think that she is clean. 
and yes. and probably someone that because she did have to kind of be in this political role for quite some time, she's probably someone that's aware of like how she's putting herself off to other people. But yeah, overall, if 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 it's between like getting stuff done and taking a bath, she would she would get stuff done. Lando, can we put Lando out there as well? Uh, Lando's best smelling guy. Yes, for sure. I, I agree with that. Han, maybe worst smelling guy. <laughs> Han probably smells like bad whiskey. And Chewbacca, he smells like Chewbacca, like wet dog. Right. I mean, Chewbacca's fur was pretty nice. You know, not not in Solo when they found him down in that like pit, but like, may, may, he might have been a very well groomed Wookiee. Do you think that Han and like Chewie just took a lot of pride in their personal appearance? Because Han looked pretty put together. I don't know. I mean, I don't think Han cared, you know, certainly didn't care as much as Lando, Lando's collection of capes. But, you know, who knows? This is and a great conversation. I'm really High, High Republic yeah. universe, best smelling character, uh, at least up to a point, up to, up to the end of, of, uh, of, the Rising Storm, spoiler alert, Stellan Geos, right? I was going to say Stellan Geos. Yeah, he seems like he like, you know, is, is like a, a pretty boy. There's, I get a lot of Obi-Wan vibes off Stellan Geos. Yes, yes. Um, we'll get to that in a second. Some Star Wars news, some books coming out in the next month. We have Tempest Runner coming out August 31st. That is an audio exclusive book, again, written by Kevin Scott, who wrote Rising Storm. So he has been a busy dude. He writes the Star Wars Marvel comic. He wrote The Rising Storm, and he wrote Tempest Runner, which is coming out um, in just a couple weeks from when this will be released. So that's exciting. Did you pre-order that yet? I have not pre-ordered Tempest Runner. Uh, I can pre-order Tempest Runner after the 20th. Oh, when your Audible credit drops. Gotcha. (laughs) I was thinking more like when I get my paycheck. Oh, that too. That too. Okay. Um, And I'm sure they'll do a physical copy, which I'm sure you'll get as well. For sure. 100%. And then September 7th is a big day for Star Wars publishing. We have Life Day Treasury coming out. Um, that's kind of the third in the anthology series that we had, like Tales of, I think it was Tales of the Dark Side. And then I don't remember what the, the other one was, but short stories, uh, kind of like Myths fairy and tales. What's it called? Myths and Fables. Myths and Fables, yeah. So like, you know, fairy tales within the Star Wars universe, but... What's interesting about the Life Day Treasury is one of them is going to star Stellan Geos. Uh, is it G- Do you go Geos or Gios? I say Geos. Geos, yeah. But I think with all of these names, there's flexibility. We've already discussed how the audio book even pronounces, you know, Martian Rowe different than the the authors. Um, my friend only exclusively listens to them on audio audiobook. He hasn't read any of the books. So when we're discussing it, he's saying all these names. I'm like, what? Who's that? Huh? What are you saying? He's like, well, that's how they say it in the book. And what he told me was all the audiobooks are inconsistent. So if you listen to Light of the Jedi and then listen to Rising Storm, they pronounce people's names differently, which is kind of frustrating. It is. There should be a pronunciation key created by the authors and given to the audiobook uh, readers. So the villains, you and I have been calling them the Nile. And I think that's kind of the the going name for it. He said one author or one narrator calls them the, the, the knee hill, like knee. Yeah. Knee hill. Yeah. Even in the rising storm, the, the pronunciation of Nile was different. And I was like, look, it's Nile like nihilism. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought. Interesting. 
Uh, Edge of Balance comes out September 7th. That's the manga book that was supposed to be released in May. Got delayed till September. I'm looking forward to that. Not a big manga reader, but should be exciting. Um, Free Comic Book Day just passed, and they actually released the first few pages of that. I did not get my High Republic Free Comic Book. Did you? I did get that, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I kind of flipped through it. Yeah. And I really like it. And something that I was not totally prepared for, I just like didn't think about, is that manga is usually all black and white. Yep. And so I'm, you know, the manga sample that they gave us is in the comic book size. So I'm thinking comic book, and I flipped, even though I knew it was manga, and I opened it up, and then all black and white, and I was like, oh yeah. But the artist is really fantastic. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited yeah. to experience Star Wars in, an, in another new way. Although they've been doing some manga, it's all been like manga adaptations. Sure. So an original manga I think is going to be really cool. Well, speaking of that, um, September 22nd is the premiere of Visions. And uh, they dropped that trailer just this week that we're recording. And doing Star Wars in a new way, that looks like a radical, completely different but awesome take on Star Wars. Yeah, I've seen just like very short snippets and I'm I'm very excited for that too. And honestly, like I, somebody asked today like if you could only keep one streaming service, what would it be? And I'm like, I mean, it's got to be Disney Plus as as a whole. They're knocking it out of the park over and over. I just watched the second episode of What If mm -hmm. today for Marvel and it's great. And everything they've done that's Marvel or Star Wars has been phenomenal plus the other stuff so I, I mean they can do no wrong by me but as a star wars fan especially i'm ready for visions i agree disney plus would be the one i keep you know what the wild card for my second choice hbo max me too well I, I i count disney plus as the disney plus bundle so that includes hulu and espn plus i see that and, okay and so that's one and then my second would be hbo max yeah, so, I mean, then you have Marvel, Star Wars, and DC, and Harry Potter, you're pretty much, and Lord of the Rings, so you're pretty much set. That's right. Nerd, nerd heaven. Um, also, September 7th, I know you have this on pre-order, is the first trade edition of Marvel High Republic, uh, Volume 1, called There Is No Fear. So, looking forward to that. I'll, I'll probably pick that up. I usually don't get the trades, but I might get that one physical. Yeah, I, at this point, my my like canon collection i have all the adult novels and all the young adult novels in the new canon so where i need to add is the the middle grade and the uh the graphic novels and trades and so i definitely don't want to miss out on the high republic trades so aside from the fact that i've loved reading them on comiXology that's a daunting task my friend to try and get all those trades because there's a lot of marvel star wars comics I keep my fingers crossed that they keep putting out more omnibus omnibuses. Yeah. yeah. There's, you know, we've got Darth Vader volume two, which is really not volume two, but it's, you know, the different author. Um, it's the second series of Darth Vader since the canon. Um, that's coming out soon on, on uh, like in November on uh, an omnibus form. So I'm excited for that. I wish they would do Poe Dameron since that was, you know, seven volumes. That's about right for an omnibus, a little bit, maybe a little long. And I wish they would do, uh, you know, some of those other miniseries or whatever. Yeah, the Poe Dameron is an excellent comic, by the way, if you haven't read it. I've read some of it. Oh, dead air for me yawning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You've got so to, you got to, 
you you got to do like a soft whisper. And it's like you you're listening to Starlight Beacon podcast, the midnight hour, the midnight you know, after hours. <laughs> <laughs> so our main focus today, of course, is the rising storm. And by the time this episode came out, uh, comes out, I feel like a lot of people have probably read this. Um, Brian and I made no bones about it that we were going to be delayed with our review, but it'll be worth it because we definitely have a lot of thoughts. So this book had a ton of buzz even before it came out. The The Star Wars uh, book community was really excited about this. I was really excited about it. I loved the first wave that we got in the High Republic. So um, I was actually wrapping up another book when Rising Storm came out. So I didn't even dive into it until maybe a week or two after it was released and it was killing me to do that but i always want to finish my books so um it was really busy it probably took me maybe two and a half weeks to read this entire book so it took me a little bit longer than it usually does it's a lengthy book and there's a lot of stuff going on before we talk about plot what was your experience like reading this book well like i mentioned earlier like i think i had a i had a hard time clicking in um and i think it was just honestly just being tired and you know summer coming to an end i i, I would like it came out while i was on vacation and then trying to get back into daily life and summer wrapping up and my kids get my kids ready for school just a lot going on and so a lot of times if i have a hard time clicking into a book i tend to procrastinate reading it and but like is often the case when I finally sit down and really give it a good read, like I'll read for a couple of hours, then I'm like, okay, now I need to know everything that's happening. And then it was just like, go, 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 go. You know, listening to, I, I often with Star Wars books will get the audio book with my audible credit and then have the regular book. So I'll read the regular book and then listen to the audio book in the car. Like I'll read say through, you know, chapter three and then I get in the car and I listen to chapter three and then when I get home, I pick up in the book where I left off on the audiobook. So I'm always moving forward. And uh, that helps me to get through quicker. And Interesting I, approach. Interesting. Yeah, I really, really enjoy doing that. And, and because I'm one of those people that I can get so consumed with a book when I'm into it. And I'm like, I don't want to do anything else but know what's happening next in my book. I don't want to work. I don't want to <laughs> be, be at home. So that has really been a, a kind of a saving grace for me in trying to get through in those cases. Another book reading question for you about your book reading habits. Are you a chapter to chapter reader or you read until you stop? I really try to be a chapter to chapter reader. Yeah. And that's mostly because I don't typically have a bookmark on me and I will forget where I'm at. Um, if I can't go chapter to chapter, then I log into Goodreads and and do an update so I know what page I'm on. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I like to have at least if I can't, if it's the middle of a long chapter or I'm getting sleepy or something, at least try to find like a good, you know, story break or paragraph break to stop at. But I, I typically look ahead and say, okay, this chapter is 12 pages. Do I want to tackle this or do I want to go to bed or something? There are definitely times where I've been like, okay, I'm going to read this 12 page chapter. I'm good for it. And three pages in, I'm like, nope, not good for it. <laughs> and, uh, Quick log in to, to, to Goodreads and say, I'm on page 137. So The Rising Storm, Kevin Scott, um, a, a runaway success. I believe it was on the New York Times bestseller. I don't know if it was number one, but it was definitely in the top five or ten, I believe. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've been, every single one of them been killing it. This was no, this was no uh, slouch. 
So just just up front too, we are also going to be talking about Race to Crash Point Tower because it is essentially a couple chapters in the middle of the Rising Storm. That book takes place concurrently with some some things happening in Rising Storm. So we'll we'll separate that out and talk about that independently, but they are really really tied together. And and I'm going to say that like I really loved that. I really loved that because if Kevin Scott had uh, added that story into the middle of his, it would have killed the pacing. Sure. But I did want to know what was going on. And I thought it was a really fantastic story that added to Kevin Scott's story. I, I loved that they were so explicitly tied together. And I definitely thought they were their own thing. I also have to say just in passing, because Daniel Jose Older wrote Race to Crash Point Tower. And he's another one who has just been doing so much. I mean, he's doing the High Republic Adventures. And he writes middle grade, adult, young adult, all that kind of stuff. And so I, I posted on, on Twitter. I was like, when you write a character, um, do you write them differently from young adult, middle grade, and adult? Do you write that same character differently based on what you know age group you're appealing to? Because I was wondering, you know, do they worry more about keeping the character consistent or do they worry about the audience? And uh, so I said, if so, how? Mm -hmm. And uh, Daniel Jose Older did respond to me, which was cool. Cool. His answer was yes. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> so that. I'm sure I'm sure he's busy, but I, I'll take the yes. Um, I do have to say. I, I, we, we really enjoyed everything in the higher Republic so far, but I love that you can read any of the material and it for the most part stands on its own. So if I have a friend who's not reading the, the, the young readers, but does the young adults and the novels and not the comics. And he still gets pretty much the full experience. I have a friend who just reads the comics and he still gets the full experience. So I love that you can read pretty much any of the, the format you want or mix and match and you still get the same appreciation or you could be like us and be completionists and 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 love it yeah and well what i love and so i think maybe race to crash point tower in that situation may be the worst as far as like you you really need to read the rising, rising storm, storm yeah. with that to to get some of that background but what i do love with all of them is there's definitely things that you hear uh, you know there are references for instance in out of the shadows which you and i have both just started reading and we're a few chapters in I've already seen references to like the High Republic adventures and mm -hmm. you know the comics and of course also to what's happened in the Rising Storm and and stuff like that and so it's so much richer if you read all of them but you can just pick one. What I do like about Rising Storm in that sense too is it's the first thing we've read that ties in characters from everything previously. Yes. So it feels like all the other things that we've read so far, your High Republic adventures, your High Republic comic, your three books that we've read already, all come together in the Rising Storm in some form or another. And I really enjoy that because while I liked Wave 1, it felt like these stories were loosely connected. But now we see characters interacting with, with each other from the different mediums, and that's cool. Yeah, and I know for some people that might be a turn off because it makes the universe feel smaller. But I think that kind of because of what we're dealing with in the universe, it makes sense. So I agree. And that, that was one of the, well, I love the higher public. One of the criticisms, if I can call it that, that I've had is that there felt like a lot of characters we were trying to keep track of. It seems like in wave two now they're bringing those characters together and it's, it's a little bit easier to keep track of them. 
Yeah, and one key to help us not feel overwhelmed by characters is kill some off. So, <laughs> and we, we sure do that. Yeah. So let me give it, let's do a, a quick little plot summary for the rising storm and then we'll get into it because there's a lot to talk about. Sorry, I had, had another <laughs> yawn. <laughs> so nearly a year after the great disaster, I believe it was a year they said, right? About a year? Yes. Yes. Chancellor So wants to spread the, period, the spirit of unity and change forward with another of her great works, the Republic Fair, to be held on the planet of Valo. So's plan is disrupted by the Nile, who launch an all-out assault on the planet, taking countless lives and targeting the Chancellor herself. The Jedi, already stretched thin battling the Nile and Drangir across the galaxy, are called to action and are successful in detaining the Nile threat. The Jedi decide to take the fight to the Nile in retaliation. A young Padawan, Bel Zedifar, finally rescues his master, Loden Greatstorm, who had been held captured by the Nile. But concurrently to this entire story, Markian Roe, or Marcian Roe, I forgot how I pronounce it, <laughs> has been creating or building or discovering a mysterious weapon which he finally unleashes called the Leveler, a power that can break the Jedi's connection to the Force. The Leveler kills Loden and leaves Bell in a comatose state, and the Jedi, for the first time, have something to fear. Yeah, man. So, so dead character. Let's let's just uh, a character that everyone loves. That was a gut punch. Yeah, you definitely saw a lot of social media posts like uh, that last page of the Rising Storm or whatever. And yeah, and not not good. But I'm gonna tell you what. I oh man, I don't know if this is going to be a popular thought, but I don't know if I would have liked him if he would have survived. Because I, I just don't. I mean, he would have been so messed up. You know what I yes. mean? I mean, he was tortured for a year. Mm -hmm. You know, so he you see glimpses of it that he is just a broken frail. I mean, he's like, and, and see this will make what I said even worse. I pictured him like a Holocaust survivor in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, and of course I wanted all the Holocaust survivors to survive and thrive again and stuff like that. But you add on top of that, this sort of more visible spiritual damage with like, you know, him and the force and stuff. I just, I just don't know. I'm, I'm glad he's at peace and one with the force. It's just such a gut punch, man. As soon as he gets free and meets up with, with bell again, and then he dies and it's brutal. He doesn't go out. Well, he gets really killed, super killed. <laughs> yeah. Not, not slightly killed. He's not half dead. We can't call what's his name. The, from a uh, bucket to blood. Yeah. No, I was gonna say Princess Bride, the uh, oh. Miracle Max, because he's 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 not partially dead; he's fully dead. <clears throat> so, I know we started at the end of this book, but I think that's the best place to start because it has the the biggest impact. Um, early on, I think right after we read Light of the Jedi, I made a prediction that I thought Bell Zedifar was going to emerge as our heroic character. 
I think that even more after reading Rising Storm. You think he's going to become more the hero now? Yeah, I think if there's going to end up being a central character, it might be Bell. And I, I thought that from the beginning, and I still think that. Well, man, I'm going to say, okay, was this at the beginning of Rising Storm? Because the books do start to blur together when you've read them all. But was it at the beginning where he gets like shot through with a harpoon? Yes, that was in Rising Storm, yeah. So we start, we start out with him like engaged in like a starship battle. And I mean, okay, starship battles are brutal, right? Lasers blasting, ships blowing up. But these guys shoot a harpoon through the ship. Through, and I just spit all over my microphone. Through <laughs> fucker and fuck attach. Through, I'm sorry, that's a trademark. We're going to have to pay someone now. Uh, but through the the like windscreen of his ship and through his guts, right? And that was like a crazy cool scene. Just there was a lot of people using the force in different ways than we've seen before then. Yeah. Um, and I thought he was going to die. I thought that was it for him. I did too. And But... So he goes through this like massive healing process with that. And you're like, man, he's had it rough. And then, then in the end, oh, and we're going to go ahead and like, look, your master's still alive. I can sense my master. I'm going to help him get free. Oh, your master's super dead now <laughs> in, fr in front of your eyes. So now yep. it's even And worse. then he's, he's all messed up. Bell's all messed up at the end. As, as one would be. I it's think like that, but that I think that's going to be he's going to be the character who rises from all this adversity. That's my theory. So here's the problem, right? We've been talking about this a lot that there's one character who's supposed to end up eventually, you know, one Jedi who's going to turn. And who is that Jedi, right? Mm -hmm. um, we've got the next adult novel is called The Falling Star. And we have all sort of interpreted that to be uh, one of two things either the starship beacon gets destroyed or that there is a Jedi who falls away and turns to the dark side. And who will that be? Right. And bell is, even though bell may rise up to be the hero, bell is also one of the top contenders for turning to the dark side, because if there's anyone who's been through, you know, pure hell, it's bell. Dun, 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 that ah, ha, ha, ha. Well, and then that leads us to kind of our other two central, who I would say are the central characters of this book, are Stellan and Elzar, right? Would you agree that they're probably the main characters of The Rising Storm? Yes. Um, and Elzar, and we'll, we could talk about it, he has brushes with the dark side very, very blatantly, um, and he recognizes it, and he asks for help. Um, I think he's a red herring. I do not think he's going to be the one who, who falls to the dark side. Yeah, what I think is interesting with him, and I'm starting to see in a character in Out of the Shadows, which we can talk about later, is they are really diving into some sort of peripheral Jedi powers that we don't see as frequently. Yes. And so with, with Elzar, that's these like massively powerful visions to the extent that he has like a nosebleed from one of his visions. Um. And that is, we don't see characters have those kinds of visions very frequently. You know, brief visions sometimes, but not the kind that he's having. And the, in, in many ways, that's something that feels like it ties him to the dark side a little bit. But then additionally, he definitely doesn't play by the Jedi book. I mean, he 
has a one night stand. We've never seen a Jedi do that. Have we not? I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, Anakin was married, so we know that he had more than a one night stand. Um, Obi Wan with with Duchess Satine, maybe. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, <laughs> was that a one? I mean, there was definitely love and a relationship there, which was not necessarily there with Elzar, mm-hmm. but. I, I don't know that they were intimate more than once, as far as I know. Sure. And and someone out there is is now like, oh my god, you're keeping track of how many times Obi Wan is intimate with Satine. <laughs> Not really, guys. <laughs> this is just my bad memory trying to recall. Yeah, but Elzar, you're right. He does seem to be the character who wants to. He questions why he pushes the boundaries of what a Jedi should and shouldn't do. He's an interesting character, but. I think he's a red herring for falling to the dark side. And can we appreciate, so I feel like more than like this, maybe this podcast, we're jumping all over the place more than we normally do. Mm -hmm. But can we appreciate that Elzar is the first Jedi that I know of that like literally has been caught with his pants down. Like, (laughs) like the world is going to, to, you know, to hell in a handbasket. There's like people dying all over the planet and he wakes up and literally can't find his pants. So. Does he seem like the Qui-Gon Jinn type of character who is questioning, not that he questions the the council that much, but it has a different way of thinking. And then Stellan is more of the Obi-Wan character. To some extent, but I think what I feel more with Elzar is that I don't know that he's necessarily like questioning. I think that he just doesn't agree with aspects of what the Jedi believe in. And I think one of those levels is I don't think he knows how to cut himself off from relationships. Mm. And, you know, we know that he has a very intensely close relationship with Stellan and Avar, and especially with Avar that he's, you know, put himself out there in the light of the Jedi with her and was kind of like shut down, right? Like at the end of light of the Jedi. And is it implied that they had a romantic relationship when they were younger? I think it's, I I don't, it may be one of those things where it was romantic in his eyes and maybe not hers, Sure. but I think it may have been closer. And then when she took her position, she really steps back to do what's right for her position. But there's definitely a deep wounding there because of a, you know, a relationship that he valued has is not reciprocated and early in the story early in the rising storm he's i mean he's kind of done the disservice you know the of of not even being told she's not coming and something that he was really eagerly awaiting he runs out there to greet her and is greeted by not her by very much not her (laughs) you know Avar is an interesting character because she doesn't appear in this book. She's mentioned frequently. We, we hear that we know she's still off fighting the Drengir. They are building her up through this and through Light of the Jedi as like a mythic character who we don't really know very well, which I think is interesting. And I, I'm going to say I, I really appreciate that she was not in this book as much either because I do feel like we've had a lot of her especially in the comics and in the previous and in, in the wave one books. And I'm really glad to get more of like um, El- Elzar and who's, who's my, who's my favorite guy. I can't remember his name now. The Athorian, uh, the, um, 
Bucket of blood. No, no, the guy who's been uh, who's been through everything. The guy who like literally stands on a on a starship. Oh, yeah, that is so cool. I don't remember his name, but he's cool. Where's <laughs> I'm so bad with names. I hate it, but uh. Well, while you're while you're looking it up, I'm gonna say the other character that's introduced that I really like and I was excited to meet in this book is Ty Yurik. For sure. The Jedi Monster Hunter. Me. Yeah. The Jedi Monster Hunter. And she concurrently appears in Race to Crash Point Tower. And then her first comic, Monster of Temple Peak, just released a couple weeks ago. She's awesome. You know, this this Jedi who has left the order um and is now kind of a saber for hire to to kill your local monster super fun character and i'm happy we get to meet her and really she gets fleshed out a lot in this book she does and she and she appears briefly in race to crash point tower like you said but i i'm i'm excited for tempest runner and i'm not there yet i said tempest runner right temple what, peak temple peak yeah i mean temple peak i keep getting those confused because it's temp 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 yeah it's confusing are you still looking up that character's name trying and failing <laughs> porter engle Porter Angle. I knew I had an E. I was going to say Pan Ita. Those are the same letters, so that's confusing. Yes, we ha we're getting so many names in places that there are there are some that kind of brush up against each other, and it, sometimes you can mix those up. Even though, like, I clearly know who P Porter Engel is. Yes, rem remembering his name is a bit of a challenge. And again, I'm not good with names, so. So I remember when we read Light of the Jedi, I was skeptical of Chancellor So. I was wrong. I think she's a very good woman. I don't think she's going to be evil. Well, okay, so I've got maybe a hot take on this. I do think she's a good woman, and I don't think she's going to be evil. But my hot take is that she sort of represents the um, eternally optimistic politician who does not listen to the more, you know, the, the more educated people around her, the people who are, are more in the know, you know what I mean? Because she's arrogance. Really, is it arrogance? Yes. And they would probably say, I'm not being arrogant. I'm it's confidence and hopefulness. And, you know, we need to, you know, have that positivity, but you know, when it's not based on anything, like, I mean, this, She's told over and over and over that they need to be concerned about the Nile. And she's like, no, we got it. We, we you know, we're good. And yeah, I was questioning that throughout the book. It's like, this seems like a really bad idea. <laughs> and a lot of people suffer as a result. And at the end, she realizes. And she's, she's, uh, there's not only the, and obviously, I think everyone knows lots of spoilers. We've already covered some, but not only does the, the Republic suffer a kind of amputation, right? Like the people's people, people's trust. I don't know about trust, but th their confidence is definitely shaken. Mm -hmm. And now we also have the chancellor herself has lost a leg, which will be this like forever visually present representation of how the Republic failed and and it lost tons of people, their lives. Yeah. Um, it, it reminds me of, again, the, where we're heading with the prequels that, you know, Palpatine was, was making the sales pitch that the, the government, the Republic, the Senate was, was arrogant and was corrupt. And I don't think she's corrupt, but I definitely feel that arrogance from her. And we get that other, uh, Senator this time. What, what's his name? The, 
Do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, I don't remember his name. There's a lot of names, guys. So many names. There's so many names, yes, but I know who you're talking about. We get this other senator who's, I think, been mentioned briefly before. But in this case, he plays a bigger role because it's almost like he's in the background, like purposefully trying to screw over the chancellor. Yeah, he's um, like the guy going like, I told you so. <laughs> and, and, and his goal is that he wants to create a military for the republic, which they're really kind of trying to avoid, right? Which we know this is going to be the precursor to essentially what becomes robot armies or stormtroopers, you know, like this is, this is what will lead up to that. And, and they argue over this over and over and over. And he is not a good person. He does not have good intentions. The Jedi can even, especially Elzar can even sense that in him, but he is adamant that he really does have the best at heart. He just doesn't agree with the way to get there. Right. It's, it's the two kind of the two, sides of the political spectrum, right? Both both sides think they're doing the right thing and there's probably some good intentions there. It's just they're going about it different ways. And, and we have this weird moment where when we meet Tyoric, Tyoric's working as a bodyguard and the person that she's bodyguarding is this person who has created a weapon that can turn off lightsabers. Crazy. <laughs> right. And the reaction that the senator has, because he is, does not have confidence in the Jedi, the reaction that the senator has or whatever is really not positive. And it, it shocked me. I expected him to be like, this is great. Let's talk in private. Put it on my ship or whatever. Yeah. And instead, he was like, she needs to be arrested immediately. Yeah, that's a good point. You thought that uh, he would maybe be for that? That's how I know how I felt. But um, transitioning from that, we're really stacking the deck against the Jedis now. So now, Marchian Rowe, and we'll get to that storyline in a second, has a, has a creature, I believe, that can sever the connection to the Force. And then there's this equipment or this, you know, this, this device that can turn off lightsabers. Basically saying, uh, Jedi are, are kind of going to be powerless soon, huh? Or I don't know if powerless is the word I want. We're going to have to have some creativity here. Yeah, we're going to have to learn that it's it's sort of like you you learn to rely too much on one particular thing that becomes your downfall. And so, if the Jedi are really as clever as they think they are, they're going to have to find another way. we talk about Mark Pinero yet? Yeah, let's do it. My favorite character in the High Republic and every chapter. So these, these adult books are written in a way where it's kind of cyclical, right? You have a chapter about Tyuric, you have three, four, five more chapters about different characters. Then you get your chapter about Tyuric again. Then you have your chapter about Stellan and then you have your chapter about Elzar, which is jarring at first. And maybe that's why it took you a little bit to get back into it. Because um, the same thing with me, it took me a little bit to get back into that reading mindset, because that's not the traditional way a story is always written. But my point is, every time I finished a Markian Row or Nile chapter, I was like, when's the next one? Can I skip chapters to get to this? Because this is the story that is really, really engaging me. God, he's just a great character. 
He is, and and vicious and clever, and 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 in this book we start to see some weakness, mm-hmm. but we also see like what he's willing to do in that weakness, because we have really a tempest runner who turns against him pretty directly in this book. Pan Eta, yeah, yeah, and Pan Eta like. He's not going to beat Panada in a fist to fist. Right. Panada is too big. So we have this great moment where he just like hands Panada his, his helmet. Yeah. And he ha- has like electrified it to the extent that Panada is like on the ground in agony being like electrocuted again and again and again. And he just walks out of the room mm-hmm. and we think, okay, this is done. He just won. But, <laughs> but Panada grits his teeth through it and crushes the helmet yeah and so that introduces why we have a second marky and row helmet yes because i know that was asked a lot online i saw that a lot of people talking like why does he have two helmets there you go the chapter that stuck out to me the most in this book and there's a lot of heartbreaking and jarring things that happen but it was very early on it was the chapter where row and his pilot who is a force sensitive species and then this this elderly tribe member, or, or not relative, but someone that Ro knew from his youth, they're in that cave. They, they Ro fights that creature, and then he just like lets the the force sensitive guy die um, when he's testing out the leveler. And it's told from that that character's perspective, and it just shows you how cold Ro is. And that that chapter really stuck with me. You remember which one I'm talking about? Yeah, for sure. And and because he seems like he cares about that character he he comes back to help that character he comes back yep. to to protect him to check on him he pulls out you know Loden's lightsaber and kills this giant beast in there but ultimately it was just so he could get him to this point because he needed to test a theory and let him die like violently yep so it's there on I believe his home planet where he finds the leveler. So let's talk about that. They're not 100% clear what that is, right? Or did I read that wrong? So I don't think that they fully describe it. They're, they're leading up to something with it. But I will say that for me, I felt like it was like a, a piece of equipment that was in two parts that had to be put together. Yes, but is it also a living creature? I didn't think it was. Okay, maybe I interpreted that wrong. Because I thought like there was a creature that attacked Loden and Bell. I, I I'd have to go back and look at those pages. I don't remember it being well. I mean, I do think there was a creature that actually I do think there was a creature that attacked, but I don't know. I I need to go back and look at that. I could be Could've, wrong. I could be the, wrong. The thing with that book is I wrapped it up and then I immediately jumped into crash, you know, race to crash point tower. I didn't, I don't think I gave my brain enough time to really like process the ending of that book. And it all happens very fast. Yeah. So yes. Well, anyway, he has this device or whatever it is that can sever the connection to the force. um, And he uses that character um, to test that theory. And it just shows that like, Ro is thinking very far ahead and he has a plan and everyone is a, as a pawn in his game. 
And Panetta uh, is not cool with that. It's even since Light of the Jedi, he's been trying to kind of overthrow Roe or question Roe. And we really see that here. And Roe attempts to kill him, but Pan is still out there. And that just leaves a lot of interesting possibilities with what's going to happen with the Nile. Well, but Pan's not out there, really, is he? He escapes from his ship, yeah. But he's been poisoned. Like, he's going to die. But we didn't see him die. Yes. So, did he did he die, or is he, like, on the verge of death, and we're going to see him, like, one last rattle as he tries to get his revenge? And, and, and also really interesting is who played a role in his death is not just Marky and Roe. Was it Lorna as well? Yeah. So we see Lorna kind of choose sides, right? So what happens is that Pan, Pan Ada knows about uh, the Santecas, like you said, like the 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 old woman in the in the you know container or whatever, giving him yeah. all the the paths. Um. And and Lorna and you know he shares this with the other Tempest runners, and. And Lorna pretends to kind of join his side. Let's overthrow Markian and we'll take control. But she's sort of playing like the double, you know, double agent. And she betrays him. The reason she betrays him, do you remember what it is? I don't. So the reason that she betrays him is because when they were attacking Valo, he decided to just basically like start blasting earlier than their assigned time. Yes. And he nearly killed her. He he was shooting while she was down there, shooting at her and everyone else, and she could have been killed. And so she's like pissed at him for that. And she's like, All right, I'm no longer, you know, on your side, but she pretends to be so that she can betray him and ultimately cause his death. She acts like she's saving him after uh Markian like poisons him or whatever. Um, but she basically just slows it down. And then sends him to another place to hopefully die. She's an interesting character. And it's interesting that she's getting her own story. Like Tempest Runner, she's the lead character in that. Because it's hard to figure out what her game is or what her her intentions are. But she plays a big role. Like she's a big role in, in The Rising Storm. She's a pretty significant character. I'd say she's the main villain of Race to Crash Point Tower. Like she plays a role in both those stories. She's the only Tempest runner left that we that you know we were originally introduced to. So really interested to see what her game is because we haven't. It's not really clear. And also, just a random interesting fact. I think it describes that she's had one of her leku cut off. Yes. And 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 we find out that Loden both of his or like his leku both get cut off or whatever. So I'm wondering, and they're cut off by Markian, and so I. I wonder if at some point, like, she was tortured by Markian or something. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Any other thoughts? I know we could talk about this book forever, but we do have to move on the race to Crash Point Tower. Any other final thoughts that we might have missed on with Rising Storm? Um, no one knows where Yoda is, by the way. Right. He here's one that's a really cool thing. So we do have... Um, so one of the plot points in, in the Rising Storm is that before, you know, we know that the the Nile before they attack, they cut off the communications mm -hmm. and they drop their their gas, right? Yep. 
So when communications are finally restored, Stellan, who is really kind of because he's a he's not just uh, a master, he's a grandmaster, right? Mm-hmm. So Stellan uh, uh, he basically gets all the Jedi and apprentices that are together or there. He gets them all together and together they use the force to lift that fog, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, uh, again, just kind of shows what the force is really capable of. And then we get these other really great force moments like we alluded to earlier, where there's this amazing starship battle happening right there, you know, in the atmosphere of Valo. And we have, um, what did I, oh, Porter Engel, who literally, like, so one of the things that's happening is there's these giant, like, love, floating pods that represent the different countries, and they're falling and crashing and all this kind of stuff. And um, they're trying to save the people, and there's, like, four or five people that are falling, and so these starships, like, literally use the force to fly together to land under these people and basically get these people to land on their starships to be safe. And at one point, Porter Ingalls like ends up on top of a starship, like basically like van surfing on a starship <laughs> using the force to keep himself grounded as it flies at full speed, basically. And it's just crazy. There's crazy stuff happening in the force in this. Yeah. Oh, God, he's so cool. He is really cool. Yes. You know he's going to die, right? Highly likely, but you know that when he dies, people will probably finally take everything more seriously because he's definitely someone that everyone looks at like, how in the world did he do half the stuff he did? <laughs> like, at one point, they have a, like a, a, a conversation with him on comms, and they they kind of surmise that he is literally in the middle of a lightsaber battle with like multiple people yes. and just talking casually to them. <laughs> yeah, I loved that. That was he's a really fun character. So Rising Storm, um, loved it. I thought it was great. I still prefer Light of the Jedi, in my opinion, but I think Rising Storm was was a great middle chapter in this first wave. What are your final thoughts on that? I think I like Rising Storm better than Light okay. of the Jedi, and I. Uh, Light of the Jedi is great, but I think what I like about Rising Storm more is it feels like the uh, like the like the the what am I trying to say? The stakes are higher. I mean, we're losing lots of people. There's not just Jedi dying, but we have a lot of people die. I mean, the Great Disaster, quite a few people died, but they make it really clear that way more people died at the at the fair. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and it shows the Nile in all their kind of threatening glory, right? They're, they're real scary. Yeah. And, and we didn't say this. And so just very, very quickly, uh, we are introduced to uh, chancellor. So's son, um, who's a, a very interesting character who goes through some changes during the story that I think are going to play out maybe interesting later on, but also, um, um, Crap, what was, what was I going to say? Um, it had to do with the stakes being high and lots of... Oh, there's this moment that gets captured because one of the characters that we have in the story too is like a reporter that mm-hmm. follows everyone around, That which is really fascinating. She has like this droid implant in her eye that lets her see like everything her camera bot can see. Um, and she has like a camera bot that floats around her and stuff like that. But um, we see this moment where Stellan 
is brokenhearted at what he thinks is the death of Chancellor So, and he's holding her weeping. And I sort of pictured that like the the death of Superman cover where Lois That's is exactly holding, what I thought of too. Yeah, yeah, where Lois is holding Superman's dead body and weeping, and so he's weeping at her death, and it's captured, and it it paints the Jedi in a different light because yeah. they've always sort of been pictured as this like standoffish and different kind of people. And now they see that they have emotions. Yeah. It becomes the iconic image kind of from this. And we see some fallout th- fr- from that in a few ways, like where it's like, number one, that might not be how the Jedi want to be represented. Number two, it is kind of good for them though. And so they continue it. And then number three, we see Stellan now sort of feeling like he has to play a character of who he was in that moment, which is, which is strange. So I, I think that's all fascinating. And I think it's setting up again. There, there's hopefully some more of this stuff. We, we get to see what happens as a result of this going forward. And we get to see what happens during it in the, in the, what is this what we consider a young reader? Is that what race the crash point tower is? I, I, I would call it a middle grade. The young readers middle I would grade. say are for even younger ages. So a middle grade book, Race to Crash Point Tower by Daniel Jose Alder. Um, I'm going to give you a very brief plot summary because I think there's a very brief plot here. Um, during the Republic Fair, Padawan Ram Jaram, Ram Ram, Ram Jaram, Ram Ram, Ram Jaram, Black Betty, Ram Jaram. Uh, see, I would have I went this way with uh, uh, Ram 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 to Ram. Ram, okay. ram, 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 You know that the band that sings that song, Black Betty, um, it's from my hometown in New Jersey. Oh, yeah? Yeah, now I forget the name of that band. Nice. Well, anyway, um, Ram, Jaram, Ram, Jamaran is joined by Jedi Lula Talusula and her friend Zine Morala, and we're so happy that they're showing up in this book. As they try to get the Crash Point Tower to alert the Jedi across the galaxy of the Nile threat on Valo. That's my two sentences to describe this book. And there's a lot in here, but I think that's a, it has a pretty straightforward plot. Yeah, I mean, certainly with these middle grade stories, there's not as much to cover. So we're going to be able to cover it pretty quickly. But there are some cool things that happen in here. And some of these things are mentioned briefly in the rising storm, sometimes uh, covered from a different perspective in the rising storm, a different point of view. Yes. And then sometimes it like literally leads into the things that are in this book. So wait a second. The name of that band is Ram jam. So are they singing their own, like, are they saying black Betty Ram jam black? Are they saying their own band name after that chorus? I don't know. That's weird. I'm going to look up the lyrics. You talk about Race to Crash Point Tower for a second. Okay, so right off the bat, we're introduced to Ram Jamaram, which is a really interesting character because he's another one of those guys like Reef that we are introduced to in the first wave, who is a Jedi who doesn't seem to have interest in a lot of Jedi things. Uh, Not interested in pulling his lightsaber and getting into fights not necessarily interested in going and meditating for hours, uh, deeply interested in, he's essentially a mechanic. He likes working on droids and ships and stuff like that. And he uses the force in a really interesting way to basically like weave through the mechanics and figure out what's working and not working and then adjust or tweak or whatever. Um, 
he's really interesting, but there's two other things that are really interesting about his character, like sort of side characters that travel with him. Uh, so one of them is these little creatures that we have, right? Which mm -hmm. are called, I'm trying to look up the name of them real quick. It starts with a B. Yes. And he's got his, his droid V9, is it V19? V18. Bonbrax. Bonbrax, yeah. Bonbrox are the are the creatures, which sort of remind me. We talked about this before. They uh, they sort of remind me of like the little bat creature from um, from uh, crap. What's that Disney movie with the like the detective, um, the Great Mouse Detective? Dude, Great Mouse Detective is one of my favorite Disney movies. Yeah, totally. Or they remind me of Batfink from what is it, Batfink from? I don't remember, or Fern Gully. They remind me of something from Fern Gully also. Yeah. But so they speak a different language, but he understands them. And they are incredibly good mechanics who basically get stuff done for him. V18, what I love about V18 is V18 is one of these boxy droids that we generally see in the background and nobody cares about because they basically look like trash cans. <laughs> um, but it's like a gonk droid. He's like a gonk droid. Yeah, but in like a moment of need, he like straps a jet engine to it and and it turns into this like crazy cool character who in many ways reminds me of um uh L337, right? Yes. Uh reminds me of L337 in some ways. And uh I mean, at one point they even end up giving it wings. It's 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 just fun, um, and flying on it. It has weapons. It has a cannon. Yeah, he was fun. We just got a ton of fun droids, which is something we haven't had a lot of yet in High Republic. So I'm happy that we got. What was the other one? In the other middle grade book, we had a fun droid too. Um, I was happy to see Lula and Zine. You know, those are my girls. I love them. Happy to see them in a novel. Yeah. Zine, Zine feels like she's very just briefly in it, but Lula's definitely pretty central. Yeah. And um, I like seeing one of the things we talked about when we talked, you and me in the background, is that you really see a lot of the Padawans really being terrified and having no idea what they're doing, <laughs> uh -huh. but having to step into the moment and do it. You've seen that in every book so far. And realizing that they can and yes. realizing that they, they've got what it takes. Um Speaking and of Padawans, we see we seen we see Vernesha Rowe make an appearance. Right. I know she's gonna show up a lot more in Out of the Shadows. You and I are both reading that now, so she's pretty pretty pivotal there. But she makes an appearance and she's kind of this uh, you know, she's 16 years old and is already a Jedi Knight, and that's interesting. Yes, which uh kind of like you said in Out of the Shadows, I think we get to see a lot about what it's like being a 16-year-old master training someone who's not much younger than you. So. so one thing that didn't sit well with me in this book, and I generally enjoyed it, but the ending with with Ram speaking with the Drangir, we should we should note the Nile have kind of used have weaponized the Drangir on Valo. So there that's another threat that we didn't see a lot of in Rising Storm, but we see it here. Um Ram speaks with them, and I know that they talk, and that's something that's been established. That just felt awkward to me. It felt like a strange kind of finale well what, what was kind of interesting to me about that is that we have 
we have had characters go into the mind of the Drengir and and meet the great progenitor, right? Uh-huh. Ram seems to do something sort of like that, but it's more closely tied to his what he how he uses his his force powers with machines, which is he basically reaches out with the force to figure out what is not working, you know, like what needs to be adjusted kind of thing. And he realizes sort of the backstory of what's going on in that sort of forced communication and realizes that they've been tricked. They've been, the Drengir have been duped into coming and destroying this planet when it's really not going to fit their needs at all. Um, it's, you know, they're just being used is basically the case. Yep. And we and, didn't, we didn't see the Drengir in Rising Storm, right? No. We, what we did, I think we did know that there were Drengir on the planet Mm-hmm. Because it kind of mentions the drain gear at the crash point tower, basically. Yes. So we knew that this was going to happen to some degree. Can I just say, there's also one of the, in my opinion's weirdest moments of all the Star Wars stuff, but I'm here for it, which is after he talks to this drain gear and like shows him that they're <laughs> killing the people that the drain gear were thinking they were going to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and the drain gear don't want to eat dead bodies. They want live bodies. Meat. So the Drengear steal a ship and take off. (laughs) That is so awesome. I'm immediately thinking of like the aliens on the Simpsons or that's, that's a good analogy. Like, just like, all right, we're out of here. (laughs) I've really connected with the Nile. I think they're really well fleshed out. The Drengear to me still feel a little weird. I'm going to say I felt like the Drangir were more intimidating to me in Claudia Gray's novel. Agreed. Into the Dark, where they're, like, using their thorns to, like, basically drug and, like, mess with people's brains and stuff. And we haven't seen that since then. Um, we saw it in the comic a little bit with Skier, right? Well, I, I feel like that was almost more like possession than it was, like, yeah, yeah, you know. But this was like torturing and like mind altering and that kind of stuff. But like, um, they don't feel as scary right now. Um, the Nile, on the other hand, I was not as scared of in Into the Dark and uh, and Light of the Jedi. And I'm much more scared of them now. Although I also feel like they're falling apart a little bit. I could see that and. It's not explicitly said, but the Nile are are the Nile behind kind of the Drengear spread throughout the galaxy, or they're just capitalizing on it. I, I feel like they're just capitalizing on it. I don't think we have a set answer with that, but I do feel like they're just capitalizing on it. And like you said, they've learned to weaponize them. They've mm-hmm. learned to sort of like because what happens the way those Drengear get there is that Lorna uh, throws like a grenade that has their spores in it. Yeah, and then they just cool. grow grow. Ma- yeah. Drengear bomb. Um, That's really cool, actually. <laughs> there's a, a, a there was a storyline in the Avengers and New Avengers uh, <laughs> way back in the day. Well, not way back, but like in I don't know 2011 or something like that in uh, Marvel Comics, where there was a Venom bomb dropped, and you know symbiotes like infested the planet. And I feel like that's sort of like what's happening with the Drengear, just dropping Drengear bombs and infesting whole planets with this malicious alien species 
the, the Niall and Roe just have all these weapons at, at at his disposal now. He has this drinkier bombs he can deploy. He's got the the leveler. He's got the you know potentially this this device that can turn off lightsabers. Like like I said, they're really stacking the deck here. Although the question is, will the Drengear turn against the Nile now that they realize they're being used? Because they sort of have this like interlinked sentience where they can communicate, it seems like, across yeah. large periods of space. And it seems like the the Republic, and at least prior to the Rising Storm, didn't really take the Drengear as a serious threat. There was even a comment made like how they they were judging and they were upset that Avar was partnering with the Hut Cartel to take down the Drain Gear. Yeah, and they felt like she was taking too long. Yeah, but I feel like that's partially just because so many of them have not had contact with them. Yeah, as opposed to like those who have. Like when you read the Marvel comic, you definitely get a sense that like it's worse than they thought it was, mm-hmm. and it needs to be taken seriously. So, yeah, um, good. No, I'm good. Um, any anything else do you think in Race to Crash Point Tower that we really need to cover? Uh, I like Ram. He's one of my favorite characters so far. Yeah, and we got more Ty in this too. We, But it's basically one of the scenes we already had with Ty from a different perspective. Yeah. And oh, we didn't talk about this in either of them, but Ty, who has these, you know, beastly interests and, and abilities to some degree, you know, Ty seems to be exceptionally good at communicating with the beasts to get them to you know, uh, become agreeable, um, which is something I feel like we haven't seen done well since uh, the, what is it? The second prequel. Um, Attack of the Clones. Attack yeah. of the Clones. Obi-Wan yeah, right. that, yeah. Um, but uh, we get dragons. Yeah, dragons. They're not like really dragons. They have a different name. But they're really dragons. They just Jedi, have triangular Jedi head. riding dragons is so cool, right? And and like I really get the hint, the the feeling like the way one of them was described, it really felt to me like the dragon from Gringotts and Harry Potter, but mm-hmm. with a triangular head. So, yeah, that's what I envisioned. And we had you know who was it Stellan or was it Elzar who was riding? It was Elzar who was riding the dragon, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was Ty. And then it ends up being Ram and them in this one. Yeah. It's cool. Dragons are cool. <laughs> yeah. So, which another thing I'm really excited about with the whole Tyuric thing is it's, it, in some ways it felt like a cross between the the Tyuric story feels like it's going to be somewhat of a cross between like, like Star Wars meets Fantastic Beasts and where to find them meets like another little bit of Indiana Jones or something, you know. Or maybe some Buffy with some, like, Monsters of the Week. Yes. So, wraps us up for Rising Storm and Race to Crash Point Tower. Um, Man, some bad stuff's going on in the galaxy. And it's just going to get worse. The next book we have to read, uh, well, in Wave 3, rather, is is The Fallen Star. And before we get there, we have to finish up Out of the Shadows. So, Brian and I will be talking about that next month when both of us finish that. Looking forward to that. Uh, Tempest Runner will be covering after that. And uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to everything coming up, Brian. And we'll throw in some of the comics here and there. Like we didn't really talk about any comics this time because we had two full books. Yeah. But we'll probably throw in some comics when we talk about Out of the Shadows. So yeah. And Monster Temple Peak. We have to cover that series. Maybe we'll cover that as a whole series since it's only going to be like four issues. Yeah. 
and the same thing with the the detective one, which I don't remember the name of. So much good stuff coming out. There is, but I listen to a lot of good stuff every day. Today I listen to the Rudy Librarian podcast. You know, Brian has another podcast, and it's my favorite podcast, Brian. It really is, and I'm not just saying that because we're friends. It's a great podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, we uh, just released our eighth episode that came out today. It's the the 18th or whatever. Um, and I got to talk to Duck, from, who's the lead singer of uh, Joystick, which is a ska band out of New Orleans. And he's a great guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. I was, I've been ahead for like a while. I've had two or three episodes recorded for like a while. And I'm not ahead right now. But I just set up my next guest. And I'm excited about that. You could tell me off air who that is, if you don't mind. But if you want, like, this is my second podcast in a row. I've been podcasting now, full disclosure, for like four hours. So if you want to just record an, a Rudy Librarian right now, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got to go to bed. Put I got to go can. Let's go. Come on. First day at school. So it was, I had to get kids ready this morning and definitely a different routine. But that means that we need to take a minute and talk about your other stuff since you talked about the Rudy Librarian. By the way, the Rudy Librarian, also uh, YouTube videos, stuff like that. Find me on social media. Uh, but Gary on social media, part of a fantastic ska band called Backyard Superheroes, uh, which you should definitely go and listen to. Um, you've got a number of podcasts in addition to this. You've got the Monster Rally podcast, right? So what's coming up on the Monster Rally podcast? We're going to be talking about The Mummy's Tomb. Spoiler alert, it's terrible. so the monster rally podcast is there for all your all all the things that you never wanted to know and all the things that you wanted to know it's going to talk about the uh the universal monster movies that are fantastic and the ones that are very very bad check this out i just got this today this is frankenstein a new frankenstein action figure from NECA. that is awesome looking um and then i also have comically rad which is an offshoot of on the upbeat and on this month's episode we're talking about sweet tooth which is, you might know as a Netflix show, but it originated as a comic book series. So we're talking about that comic book series. Spoiler alert, it's very good. And so, yeah, definitely check out both of those podcasts. To check out that last one, you need to be a Patreon member for On The Upbeat, which On The Upbeat is amazing, so you should be a Patreon member. And it's only four bucks to be a Patreon member for them. So, Well, Brian, I appreciate your time. Everybody, appreciate you always tuning in and supporting us. I know we're kind of on a monthly schedule right now. Appreciate the support with that as Brian goes back to school and I'm busy with work and my my daughter who now is walking and talking, which is crazy. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> it's late, guys, and Brian and I have been up all day. So uh, until next time, we are all the Republic. Republic.